Hi-dee-ho, you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. Before we get started, a quick word. In observation of Pride Month, today's episode will be my interview and conversation with Grace Baldridge about her being a Christian lesbian and her experience in the church and how she currently lives out her faith. Next week, just before Juneteenth, we'll have our group discussion about that final season of Atlanta that I promised you last week. After that, we'll be back on our regular bi-weekly schedule. Be sure to stay after the credits for a special bonus discussion. Now, on with the show. You are listening to the Ebony Covering Black America Podcast Network, presented by Walmart. In the first chapter of my book, my character is having a conversation with a supposed guardian angel in the guise of Sam Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction. It's a device I use in my satirical memoir to comically and provocatively explore issues of what it means to be black in America. In essence, the Sam Jackson character helps me be blacker. Now, in this scene, I'm having a funny conversation with Sam about my love of the movie Pitch Perfect. Now, read the book before you judge it, brother. Anyway, in this scene, Sam Jackson's character is giving me shit for liking the movie. Here's an excerpt. Sam. And it doesn't bother you that in a movie about talented singers, singers who happen to be singing a whole bunch of songs made famous by black folk, they barely get any black people up in there? Me. What are you talking about? They have black people in that movie. Sam starts rubbing his temples like he's got a headache. He tends to do that a lot around me. Sam. Nigga, did you just say what I think you said? You sound just like one of them Trump-supporting assholes you waste all your time on Facebook bitching about, who think just because that motherfucker took a picture with Muhammad Ali, he's not a racist. That fucking cast looks like it's right out of white people central casting. But they made sure to have just enough tokens so that ignorant motherfuckers like you can say dumb shit like, they got black people in it. They got the fat girl. They got the cute, quirky, skinny Asian chick whose voice is conveniently too soft to be heard. What's that shit all about? And they killed two intersectional birds with one stone for making the one sister gay. And not just gay, but like a straight up orange is the new black kind of butch. Unquote. They go on and on. And here's the deal. In the original draft of this chapter, the Sam Jackson character didn't say butch. He said the D word. At the time I wrote that original version, I knew the term was provocative and had been used for years in a pejorative way, but I didn't know that for a person not in the LGBTQ community to use it was sort of like a white person using the N-word. Now, I had sent a copy of the manuscript to a popular website whose audience would be ideal for my book. I wanted them to review it. The editor of that site wrote me back and said they chose not to review the book because of my use of that term and some other language used in the book by the Sam character. She said it would behoove me to have other queer women review the book and get feedback, which I thought was odd because this was the only part of the book where there's any kind of interaction or commentary about that community by the Sam Jackson character. Nonetheless, I was flabbergasted. First, I felt horrible that my use of the term was possibly inappropriate. For the past few years, as I've reevaluated my past belief systems, 
I've worked hard to be a genuine ally to the LGBTQ community. As such, I did reach out to various lesbian friends and ask for their input. And the consensus was that one, the D word was a word that has been used by those outside of their community to hurt them. Two, much like black people have taken back the N word, the lesbian community has taken back the D word. And three, much like the black community having varying opinions about the use of the N word, the lesbian community has varying beliefs about the use of the D word. Nonetheless, even though I felt like the use of that word would still be justified by the Sam Jackson character, I didn't feel so strongly about it that I had to keep it. I didn't want to risk pulling a segment of my readers out of the book so early in, so I changed it to Butch. It still has a bit of a provocative sting and in line with the character, but it's not as strong as that other word. If you've been listening to the show, particularly the last few episodes, it's no secret that part of my journey of deconstruction of my faith has been how I show up as an ally for the LGBTQ community. And this experience with this aspect of my book was a valuable lesson for me. A lesson in being open, vulnerable, and receptive to feedback and criticism when working to build bridges and community with other marginalized demographics. Which frankly is one of the reasons I feel so much confidence calling white people on their privilege because I'm not asking of them anything I haven't put myself through as I recognize my own privilege of being a cisgender heterosexual man. And with this being Pride Month, I thought it would be perfect to have the first official episode of the month to be one where I look at the intersection of Christianity and the LGBTQ community. Welcome to Dungeons and Durags, one black nerd's epic podcast about self-discovery, racial identity, and crisis of faith. Episode 16, Christian Pride. As I mentioned earlier, I spoke with a number of lesbian friends and acquaintances to get their take on this aspect of my book. One person I talked to was a woman whose work I discovered in one of my many YouTube rabbit trail hikes. Her name is Grace Baldridge. I would have to change who I am to be a member of your church. The language would be repentant. There needs to be some repentance here. For my marriage? Yeah. What the hell have I gotten myself into? That's a clip from State of Grace, a video series hosted by Grace and produced by Refinery29. As a queer Christian, there is an undeniable tension between my faith and my community. In a time where it seems division is favored over discourse, Where are your parents? Where's your Bible? I want to start a dialogue, good, bad, or downright sacrilegious. The 10-part series ran from late 2019 through mid-2020 and garnered nearly 6 million views. Between that and her role as a musician and outspoken influencer with over 70,000 social media followers, Grace has been a prominent voice in this important discussion. She and her wife are Christians who belong to a church, and for many conservative evangelicals and Christians out there, a Christian lesbian is an oxymoron with which they cannot reconcile. I originally reached out to Grace in hopes to have her on my Oh Jesus Where Art Thou episode, which was uh, episode 14. Her touring schedule prevented that from happening at the time, but I was able to finally get a Zoom call with her as we dove into our respective Christian journeys. My dad uh, is an Episcopal priest, and so I grew up in the rectory um, going to church. I was an acolyte, all the youth group stuff, the youth programs that 
we were involved with were oftentimes outsourced to a more evangelical tradition. So while the Episcopal denomination tends to be more progressive, it's been affirming of LGBTQ plus people for longer than many other denominations. Um, so, which when I say affirming, what I mean is that it's not just that queer people can sit in the pew, it's that you can fully participate, that you're celebrated for who you are. There are no stipulations or boundaries on who you are as uh, an image bearer of Christ. And so though that was the tradition I grew up in, it was still before we were seeing like rainbow flags in churches. It wasn't really talked about. It was a very much a taboo subject. I would liken it to a bit of a don't ask, don't tell policy. There was never any hatred from the pulpit, certainly not from my dad, but it also was not celebrated. So I filled in the blanks from other more evangelical, regressive Christian traditions as I was going to youth programs and whatnot. And filling in those gaps meant feeling a lot of shame and a lot of hatred and self-loathing towards who I was and who I was created to be. I've, I've known who I was since I was really young, like four or five on the playground. You have this idea of, of how, what, what my dynamic is, how I relate to people, just wanting to wear my brother's clothing, all this stuff. And then I also, as soon as I was, you know, putting some of these pieces together, it was right around puberty, which is pretty common for a lot of queer people understanding that there was something deviant about this, at least how mm. other people perceived it. Yeah. Even though I knew I'm just 13 and I have a crush on like Nicole Kidman and Moulin Rouge, like it's <laughs> harmless stuff, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but I just knew that this was something I should hide and there's something wrong with me. There's something broken in me. And then as I got older, messages become way more explicit, especially when you're in your teen years. That's when they really like to scare kids. Oh my <laughs> and, gosh, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that was the tradition that I grew up in. I moved out of the house, went to college, um, pursued a lot of different careers and odd jobs. And eventually when I met my now wife, things started coming home to me. I, I, I didn't want to deal with my faith, really. I just, mm. I didn't want to unpack it. I didn't want to deal with it. I think I knew that there was latent trauma that I just wasn't ready to explore. When we come back from the break, Grace goes into how she was able to keep her faith while also fully and wholly embracing who she was. When we got engaged, things started coming out of the woodwork. People started coming out of the woodwork. And I realized, I think I need to address this. And I think I'm ready and healthy and stable enough to address this and secure in who I am. And that's when I started the docu-series called State of Grace, which explored um, just faith in American life and kind of mm. new and surprising intersections. And you wouldn't expect a program on faith to be hosted by someone who, I know this is a podcast, but looks as gay as I do, um, <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. Um, tattooed Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, and right. so I think that, yeah. <laughs> and so. You laughed a bit too hard. Um, that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think that uh, I was ready to have these conversations. And then since then, it's really only deepened my faith as I've been able to put aside these boundaries that were assigned to me, that were prescribed to me. This is how you understand God. I 
describe myself as a Christian, but I also describe myself as a faithful skeptic. I was raised in the Christian tradition. When I pray, it is in Jesus' name. But questions on the resurrection? Oh my gosh, yeah. Hmm. Am I, would I follow like any of those sort of rules that I grew up in? You know, what do you wear to church? All that stuff I think is sort of noise. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of it is just, it's convention, it's societal. I question a lot of that stuff. I'm the person standing in line at communion thinking like, am I brainwashed? Oh my gosh, I'm in a cult. I'm drinking the blood of Christ. What, how have we gotten here? What's happening? Right. And yet I fall into prayer as hmm. it's comforting to me. My faith is important, but I don't want any boundaries or parameters on how I explore that. And certainly not on how I love people hmm. and how I love myself as an image bearer that I believe I am created to be. Yeah. Man, so much of what you're saying like totally resonates with my own personal story and wanting to live out my faith in a way that feels both authentic to who I am as a person, but also authentic to like what it means to love and what it means to love other people. Um, do you so you still go to church then? Or I've not you? been to church in a while. I do I, I do belong to a church, mm -hmm. but and I what think kind of everything it? it's an Episcopal church. Okay. It's a small Episcopal church and I have, we haven't been in a while. That's really just by virtue of the pandemic, but we've gone to a lot of virtual church services. Mm -hmm. And I actually think something cool that happened during lockdown was a lot of churches went virtual, which made churches so much more accessible across the country. I was right. almost able to tune in weekly to hear different um, faith leaders speak and share their take on different passages of scripture. And that's awesome. I'm very skeptical of authority. So I really don't like I really try and stay away from this is the one pastor who we got to listen to. Oh, you oh, got to yeah. tune in every week. I want to know their take. They've got it right. I'm always really suspicious of that. So it was cool to be able to listen to a variety of different speakers. For example, I think of Middle Church, Reverend Jackie Lewis. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but mm -mm. I love being able to kind of virtually participate in um, her church service. So I do attend church but it's really a traditional than uh, certainly how I was raised, like going, like being physically in church, being early, staying late. I don't do that stuff anymore. I paid my dues as a preacher's kid. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's funny you talk about the virtual church. Uh, the last time I regularly went to church physically uh, was when we lived in Seattle and uh, I went to Jonah Smith's church, and he has this huge church. And before that, I live in Judah Smith. I said Jonah Smith. Judah Smith. Um, oh, church home. Judah Smith, yeah. Church home, yeah. It's a big church. And so a lot of the, uh, even when you physically go there, oftentimes the he's preaching from the from the TV screen because he's preaching from one of the other campuses. And sometimes, you know, you never know which one he's going to be at. And so whichever one he's not at, he gets piped in via video. And then when we went to Atlanta, we went to huge churches. And it was the same kind of thing where the size of the churches was such that the main speaker may be piped in. So I'm kind of used to that virtual church experience. But mm. I haven't been to church since, you know, since my divorce and since getting back from living nomadically when I was still with my ex and our son and we traveled around the world, around Europe mainly, because... You know, a lot of what I went through towards the end of my divorce was exacerbated by the church. And I, I kind of feel like so much of the trauma I have is because of how my both my ex and I 
and particularly me, was treated as we went through this hard time in our marriage. And so I haven't been in church. I don't know. If I did go to church again, I probably would go to a more liturgical church, like Episcopalian or Lutheran. I guess for me, it's I kind of, I'm kind of struggling. Like, what does it quote unquote mean to be a Christian? Like, if I'm, if I, if, if I've, I've sort of like tossed aside all these other traditional tenets, and if, and, and if I'm sort of like on the precipice of maybe not fully embracing the resurrection, like still totally love the kind of things that Jesus preached and talked about and who he was, but not hundred percent sure, like if I'm still buying into the resurrection, then what does it mean to be a Christian? And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. For me, I think it's to follow and study the teachings of Jesus. Hmm. And I think that people will get very literal on certain passages of scripture. And that is totally, here's the thing. That is totally their prerogative. If that is truly how they choose to find joy, happiness, and fulfillment in loving themselves and loving other people, then awesome. My mom turned 18 in the 1960s and she just remembers Stonewall. To be fair, she can't own a beer kid that the bricks launched at police. I remember my dad saying that when I would come to him with all these questions in like my own subtle way of trying to be like, is it okay that I'm gay? Like, but without asking. So asking without asking, I'd ask him all these like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And my dad went to Yale Divinity School. He is a very smart and, you know, learned man. And he would, whenever I would come to him with these questions, just pestering and pestering him, he would say, listen, the Bible is not a rule book. It is Mm. a love story. Mm. So I lean on my faith to find comfort and meditation on how to love and honor people better through the teachings of Jesus. That is how it it informs me. Mm. But I also think there is a wealth of wisdom, ancient wisdom, in other religious traditions. And I think it's actually incredibly toxic and harmful to be like, this is the one, this white Western tradition of Christianity is the one true way. I think that is awful and I do not subscribe to that. But I also want to be honest with the tradition that I was raised in. And again, I'm always asking if I've been indoctrinated. And some people have point blank been like, you have, <laughs> and, and, and you've made peace with it. And, and, right. and this is, these are the gymnastics that you're going through. Um, I'm curious about all of it, but to be a Christian for me is going to the Bible to find inspiration, to find ancient wisdom, to follow the teachings of Christ. When people come at me with these very literal questions, do you actually believe this? Do you actually believe this? Is there a fossil record of Noah's Ark? This, this, and this. <laughs> if I'm not going to go back and forth with you. I've gotten to a place where God and I are good. I have a, a sense of wonder and peace in mystery that I never knew when I was following those rigid, literal prescriptions. That was so fear-based to me. That was Mm. so looking for, like in a bowling alley, how you have bumpers. That was so just trying to play it as safe as possible because we are so scared of the unknown because there is so much that is unknown. So if you're looking for someone to proof text and go passage by passage with you, I'm not the person to do that. I can point you to biblical scholars, to progressive and affirming theologians, 
I'm a musician. I'm someone who's wrestling with my faith. I'm someone whose faith is deeply important to them, but I do not have all the answers beyond just that the teachings of Jesus are important to me. I have no memories without them. They're my earliest memories. Mm. Lullabies when I was going to sleep. It is what it is. And I've found that it is really beautiful, mm. but I also will not place any limitations on the belief practices of someone else. Yeah. And I think that that's a tricky thing with Christianity in this country is yeah. being like, we've, <laughs> we won, you won the, <laughs> like, congrats. Were you born into a Christian household? You won the lottery. You know how to live. Oh, what a terrible water it's been. Learn that my blessings are things you call sins. I'll spend the rest of my life tearing down. Jesus from Texas. When we come back from the break, Grace shares how she was able to stay in the church and not chuck the whole kit caboodle out the window. One key difference I've seen between me and a number of the deconstructing Christians I've interviewed who still consider themselves Christian is that I had to stop going to church. Frankly, a big part of it for me is feeling a little triggered when I see people raising their hands in worship. Or if I were to watch a virtual church sermon, feeling my blood pressure go up when I hear pastors teach what is essentially their interpretation of the Bible. Since these are the kind of people in whom I've lost trust, it's kind of hard to trust anything they have to say again, let alone what they have to say about what the Bible actually means. And if I'm being honest, I do kind of like having my Sunday mornings free, not gonna lie. But here's the thing. I used to genuinely enjoy going to church. As an extrovert who's been self-employed for most of my professional career and working alone from home, I craved interaction with other people and enjoyed the fellowship I had those Sunday mornings. So it's not like it was ever a chore for me to go. But given this new space that I'm in, I'm just not ready. I was particularly intrigued by how a member of the LGBTQ community could find herself still belonging to a church. As a black man, one of the issues I've had in the past couple of years is just how the evangelical church in this country is responding to issues of race and racial um, reconciliation and justice. You know, we have the SBC who's declaring CRT one of the number one threats to the church, and now, but they're riddled with, you know, sexual scandal, scandal and whatnot. And it's like, really, CRT is the number one threat to the church. So that contributed a lot to me, like wanting to evolve, if not just throw out the baby. I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I was close to it. How do you not get to that point? I think historically, both communities have been harmed True. Um, in the name of Jesus. That's something you have to grapple with. I never want to be in the camp of like, not all Christians. I don't think that that's helpful or constructive to be an agent of change in the faith community that I've been born into. For me, what it was is purely having these kind of, I feel like I'm going to sound like a, I'm on a ghost podcast, but like truly like having these encounters with God in very low moments that mm. I can't explain mm -hmm. to this day. Like, like my lowest moments having these experiences of just feeling so held 
and honestly it was like when I was really able to almost tell myself because I'd been denying it and denying it and just burying it and just really repressing so much of who I was Mm -hmm. and it keeps you so sick it keeps you so stifled it prevents you from loving people fully like loving my, my parents my brother like just really really keeping me down when I was able to have these moments of honesty of like this is who I am this is who I was created to be I've known this in myself what if I just almost like give this to God, like give this like projection Mm. to God and love myself for who I was created to be this, this sort of like divine way that I was strung together, this mystery of how we all have consciousness and develop personalities and become vibrant people. It's like the whole world cracked open and I was able to access prayer and wonder and, and God in this way that I'd never had before when I was trying to be a quote unquote good Christian girl. I ne- I was just so removed from God because I wasn't, how am I going to speak to the ultimate truth mm. when I'm living a lie? So for me, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And I know that it's different for tons of people. I have a, many friends who grew up in a similar faith tradition or grew up religious as well and no longer have that. And I, and God, I won't say God bless them. That feels kind of <laughs> condescending. I mean, what right. I mean is like, and, and awesome. Like I want, everyone to be happy and healthy and feel loved and supportive. For me, that has meant actually leaning in closer to my faith. But I think that it has nothing to do with Christians and Mm -hmm. everything to do with God. Yeah. Yeah. When you say it's everything to do with God, like what specifically everything to do with your, your experience of God. Yeah. 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 It been like my personal encounters with God. And I realize again, like when you say that, I do sound like I'm on like ghost hunters, like my encounters with God. Cause I don't really have any, I don't have a story of like, I walked in a room and there was an orb of light. I don't have that. I just have these like moments where I was like, just, you know, between a rock and a hard place and choosing to stay in like that, that almost that sense of self and inner purpose that I attribute to God. And Mm -hmm. I understand that someone else could attribute that to me or mm-hmm. to something else right, right. Um, chance or whatnot but for me I think of that as God I think of those moments where I found hope and peace that's how I describe mm-hmm. God I think is just these moments of profound peace beyond all understanding in the midst of chaos is your wife a believer yeah we we the way that we started going back to church was mm-hmm. when we were dating and we had to come out to each other almost about hmm. wanting to go to church That's because funny. yeah because both of us in our own way and i think this is very common for queer people of our generation i certainly hope it's getting better for the younger generation uh-huh. but it's quite common to every we both have stories of feeling othered or ostracized sure. or made to feel different or ashamed of who we are because of Christians, because of our Mm -hmm. Christian tradition. She grew up Methodist. Mm. And yet both of us had a pretty similar experience of like, I was like, well, how did, how come you don't hate God? Kind of a similar thing. Like, how come you're still invested in this? And she said, you know, very, very much like what I experienced. She said, I just knew as I was coming out, I just, I never doubted that God loved me. I just Mm. always knew that God loved me. I almost was confused you know, you have to think we're 14, 15 when you're, when you're having these inner monologues. So you're young, you're a kid. You, you know that other people don't love you, but I think it's rather beautiful that as kids, we were still able to 
have this moment of like, but but God, the God who has taught to me the source of comfort, the source of peace that I go to when I'm stressed, when I'm scared, that doesn't change. I have to figure out what these people are doing and I have <laughs> to figure out how I'm gonna reckon that. Right. How I'm going to exist in that culture, but God I'm I'm good with. So we both sort of had that in common. I was active in the gay community for 13 years. I was in it for six years, then struggled for five years before finding true freedom. It was 13 years for me. Four for me. We both walked away from it. I personally came out of the homosexual lifestyle. And we're just saying that if you want to change, there is a way to do it. That's a clip from the trailer for the Netflix documentary, Pray Away. A film that looks at the controversial conversion therapy movement in the evangelical church. We were the leaders of the ex-gay movement. We believed that something must have happened to make you gay. Parents are learning about a program called Exodus, which claims to convert gays. We were promoting an idealized version of life. Gay people could be saved. It's the belief that you can quote-unquote save gay, bisexual, and lesbian people from their sinful lifestyle. There are countless members of the LGBTQ community who come out of the church that have suffered trauma due to this conversion therapy. I had an opportunity to interview both the writer-director and the producer for that film on my filmmaking podcast, Crossing the 180. And I was curious if Grace had seen the film and what she thought about the whole movement. How many podcasts do you have? I know. It's, you are prolific. I am. No, I have two. So, and my filmmaking one, I'm about to put on hiatus. But okay. it, this is sort of like the main one that I do. What were your thoughts about it? Like, was there, in terms of in terms of the stories that they told, I thought it was interesting that they had uh, at least one person on there who kind of represented a believer that is still trying to quote unquote save people from right the LGBT community. Yeah, I had um, some friends who were actually involved in that film as well and who had gone through um, the conversion process or some of the, the, right. the systems that they that they right. examined. Yeah. So it was it's difficult to watch. Mm, I bet. I think it opens up a lot of um, wounds for a queer person of faith that I was familiar with. Mm hmm. But I realize that a lot of straight people, and I think a lot of Christians as well, are maybe not f familiar with the subtleties of how conversion therapy has shifted and changed. Mm. You know, it's not the, I think that people have this perception that it's this um, very shadowy practice. Right. And as queer people have been able to represent ourselves more, and we are no longer this, you know, scary boogeyman like the deviant homosexual. Christians have had to shift how they have these conversations as well. Right. And I think that is pretty insidious. And I thought the film did a good job of showcasing that. Yeah. Of how other queer people are used as pawns for this heteronormative, patriarchal, puritanical Christian culture yeah. to further that agenda. You talk about the gay agenda. We're just trying to be. We're the the people trying to change us are like the 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 Christian powers. Like I, I always mm -hmm. think because I think that we are having more and more affirming leadership come forward, but it's really recent. For the most of the 
Christian powerhouse speakers are still on the side of unaffirming Mm -hmm. or on being vague, obtuse, evasive. I've played a game before on the church home website Mm -hmm. to try and you can go and talk to their chat bots. Right. Right. I actually think they're real people, but they feel like chat bots (laughs) because they're all very programmed. Yeah. To get them to say we support and affirm LGBTQ plus people, they won't say it. Mm-hmm. They still want celebrities to endorse and go to their church, but they won't say it. Mm-hmm. So we're still we're still in that sort of I, that murky territory of the Christian thought leaders who have a lot of influence, staying silent and vague, almost I think biding their time to see where the cards fall, mm-hmm. how things shift, and then I think in twenty or thirty years we're going to see Judah Smiths and all those. Christian leaders be like, oh no, I've loved, I've, I've supported gay rights from the beginning. Right, right. Yeah. That's going to be a real convenient shift that we're going to see. But I'm excited that there are more um, LGBTQ plus affirming thought leaders coming forward, taking up space, playing the same games, like get your Instagram sermons up, you know, let people know. Because <laughs> right. that's what it is. It's like, it's that's, totally. that's how you, that's how you gain that sort of a following, that sort of a cult-like following. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The last question I want to ask you is, one of the challenges I have in terms of like how I believe and what I believe is everything that I feel like so much of what I've learned has come from people that I no longer trust. And so since I can't trust them anymore, I don't know that I can trust what I've learned. And I think that's one of the things that, has, that challenges my current faith. So like when I hear stories like yours, I was like, wow. I kind of feel like we're similar in our faith journey, but I kind of feel like you're more connected to God than I am, wherever that means, right? Well, listen, I don't know. <laughs> whatever that means. I, I do like, my best. But, no, no, no. But sure. like like no part of me wants to go to church, wants to go to church again. Um, I like having my Sundays free. But it, doesn't, but it doesn't mean that I'm not talking to God every now and then in my way. And, and when I do, it's more like I'm not even sure if you're really there. And I feel like I'm in this space where it's hard for me to believe because I feel like anything that I lean on has come from people who I no longer trust. And that's what makes it hard for me to kind of like believe in God the way I used to, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. Hmm. I resonate with everything you just said. Hmm. It's something that I'm wrestling through right now. Mm -hmm. I have major trust issues. I have major trust issues. Yeah. And I think through writing the music I've been writing, it's almost reopened trust issues that I, that I like put a bandaid on. Mm -hmm. And now this is something that I'm working through kind of in, in real time of who do I trust? What does it look like to trust someone, especially when it comes to faith and when it comes to understanding the human condition and loving people I think I just try to not hold anyone up on a pedestal. I try and receive messages from people who I think are in positions of authority, who are more studied than I am. But I try and I try and like almost like separate the the message from the messenger because I do think that especially now with with social media and how you almost like get points, like you can win at Twitter on a day. Like you can win <laughs> at Twitter with a bunch of re- you can also super lose at Twitter. You can totally, but like you you, recognizing that all of this is part of theater. I I've peeked behind the curtain. My dad was a preacher. I've seen how he got ready for sermons. I've seen how all of that goes into this performance. Mm -hmm. So trying to hold everything very loosely, this is a performance, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the message that, that is being 
you know, preached or taught is wrong, it's something that you might be able to apply in your own life, but mm. also that this is a fallible person, just as I'm a fallible person. Right. And I try and emphasize that too. If someone like listens to a song of mine and they're like, oh, like you really get it. This song, like this really resonated with me. You know, this, you super get it. I'm like, I don't, I absolutely don't. Like, why do you think yeah. I'm, you think that this is a secure person who's like performing on stage and like that? No, I'm doing that because I'm working out my own things. Right. And I want that for you as well. But I, I think that there is this Christian tradition of finding a person and exalting them and looking to them for the answers. And I'm really in the process of trying to break myself from that and also still trying to gain wisdom in this life. So I'm figuring it out. I definitely have trust issues. Mm. I think trying not to put all your eggs in one basket, mm -hmm. ne like not relying on one person to be the divine messenger of God. Right. I think is something that I am cognizant of and something I want to do a little bit differently in my faith journey. I'm just a sign all that is right. Carry on now, carry on. Last week, I read this very personal Facebook post from a woman who courageously shared that she's part of the LGBTQ plus community. This is a married woman with kids who for so many years was part of a conservative church where she was ashamed of her body and of her identity. Well, this other quote-unquote friend of hers, a person she knew in real life who also went to that church, uh, and someone who I will affectionately call Aunt Lydia, not her real name, came out on this woman's post and asked her what does she mean that she's now part of the LGBTQ community? She was trying to be coy about it, but essentially was asking, which one of the letters are you? It got me so riled up, I actually made a TikTok post about it. Yes, I'm now on TikTok. I'll share a link to that post in the show notes. But here's the thing. This woman went on to say that she's against the LGBTQ community, and that she will pray for her friend, and in the end, God can set you free. Now, as I said in that TikTok video, this is the reason why one... This other woman, the one who came out, took so many years to come out from the church. And two, why so many people like me have an issue with the church. Aunt Lydia here clearly doesn't really care about that woman who came out. And she's a prime example of how not to be an ally. I don't think there will ever be an end to the kind of bigotry, hatred, and lack of understanding about the LGBTQ community that we see in the church. I do hope and pray that we'll at least see increased numbers of people who are true allies. The powers of injustice and ignorance run long and deep in Western civilization, and we need as many people as necessary to come together and work to make a difference in this world. We need more people to understand that differences make us better, stronger, and the more that we can learn about our fellow human being, the better all our lives can be. Happy Pride Month, y'all. So raise up, raise up, raise up. So raise up, raise up. I'm fucking gay. And thank God for that. Christians cast me out with Jesus at my back. 
The Dungeons and Durags podcast is a production of Blade Runner Media and Bonnie and Clyde Productions and is part of the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network. This episode was written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Ron Dawson. Huge thanks to my special guest, Grace Baldridge. You can learn more about her and her music at similarmusic.com. Speaking of music, music used in the show was licensed from Artlist as well as Creative Commons songs from freemusicarchive.org. I also want to thank Grace for the use of some of her songs, like Thank God for That and Raise Up. All the television, film, podcasts, and YouTube clips are copyrighted to their respective parties and used for education, critique, commentary, or satire. Check out the show notes for our statement on fair use. If you like the show, you know what to do. Rate, review, share with your friends and family. Let us know what you think of the show. Shoot us an email to podcast at dungeonsanddurags.com. You can even leave a voicemail message on our website at dungeonsanddurags.com slash podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Ron Dawson. And on both Instagram and now TikTok, you can find me at Blurred Runner. I write about race, religion, creative arts, and business on Medium at rondawson.medium.com. JD's on Twitter at thatjdcochran, and Yolanda is rat in a wheel with all the words separated by underscores. That's it for now. Stay safe out there, and remember, having white privilege is not bad. Denying it is, and in the absence of biblical certainty, choose love. See you next week. Christians cast us out, but Jesus had our back. Here's an excerpt from my conversation with Grace, where she gave me her thoughts on my opening chapter. For me, I remember, you know, only hearing that word in like a really negative and derogatory way. And especially right. as someone who uh, is that word, mm-hmm. um, in every sort like it was one of my great fears for a while was cutting my hair mm-hmm. because I was so scared that people would say that of me and it was just like mm. this awful like it was only ever the butt of the joke it was only ever just seen as like this outsider from polite society now right, I've done right. enough work on myself that I'm not really interested in participating in polite society I think <laughs> it seems awful yeah, yeah. Um, and toxic but um I have actually found on occasion a lot of empowerment in reclaiming that word for Mm -hmm. myself in safe company in Mm -hmm. the right type of company. Right. And I think that Butch is certainly a more you're saying what I think you're trying to say with that character going off of not having read the scene. Right. Without using a word that is, you know, really triggering for a lot of people in the queer community and so i think by um yeah by i think switching up the word i think that you are you're saying what you need to be said like what what you think would honor that character's perspective but you're doing so in a way that isn't um sort of uh going into a lane that isn't yours right you know and i think that yeah and and i think that that's that's always just something that you want to have the presence of mind about of like, mm-hmm. is this my word 
to decide that a character would say to decide that it should be used is there an alternate Mm -hmm. for what i'm trying to say and in that case going with the alternative because the the deference should always be that of respect especially for a community that is we're not we don't have you know the representation that we would like to have and we're still hearing that um used in a derogatory way and i think that 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 uh, pretty much across the board is how i think the discourse is at least how i'm hearing it with Mm -hmm. regards to using like who gets to reclaim Mm -hmm. a word right and so that's that's sort of my thought on it but i'm sure that like in the in the scene you know as the author as the person who understands the scene and who wrote it and your you know brainchild uh that you're navigating it in a way that honors your vision and finding a substitute is i think a really reasonable way of navigating that um criticism 